On this week's Physio Foundations podcast, I'm going to have a conversation with new graduate physiotherapist and another one of my former Monash Uni physio students, Jun Sung, about transitioning from university to working life. We're going to talk about planning overseas travel as a health professional and why he's going to go back to university to study a master's degree, amongst many other things. Welcome to the Physio Foundations podcast, a podcast about the knowledge and skills that provide the foundation of expert clinical practice. So this is part eight of my new graduate series of episodes. And so if you're a health profession student, physiotherapy student, or a newly graduated practitioner, this episode is particularly for you, especially for you. But likewise, if you're working with new grads, you're working with students, you're interested in higher education, um, you're interested in mentoring new graduate clinicians, or even making a career change yourself, this episode is going to be for you as well. So like I've said before, everyone's welcome here. And the podcast is really about the foundational knowledge and skills in our profession, but also the stories that make up people's foundations and the relatable stories and career transitions and that, that what makes up the foundation of your career. So it's all about sharing positive messages about our profession and supporting and challenging each other. And helping each other develop and grow. So I've got a really interesting guest today, a former student of mine, Jun Sung. So Jun, welcome to Physio Foundations. Hi Luke, thank you for the introduction. Um, Like we discussed earlier, I've been a listener to this podcast, especially the new grad series. Um, It's been interesting to see what everyone's been up to. So hopefully I can share a little bit of my insights as a new grad and contribute to this series. I'm sure you will. One of the... um, the things is when you first start a, a podcast like this, you're going to be sampling from people you know first, and then you broaden that conversation out. So we've got had one of our um, seven episodes has been a non-Monash Uni graduate, and yeah. a lot of the graduates been have been in your year level from Correct. 2000. That's okay. So Josh is a friend of yours who, who was in a previous episode, Josh Vinton. Correct. Yes. And he's a colleague of mine as well. We actually worked in the same place, but um, now we're moving on to our next phases of our career. So um, it's interesting to see what he's up to and hopefully um, I can share a little bit about what I'm up to as well. I really, I probably wouldn't have set up a, a Zoom to come and talk to you about these things. I might've seen you at a conference. I may have yeah. seen you in the in the local area. Hi, Jun, how are you going? Good to see you again. So this is really a, a really good opportunity to reconnect and then to share the reflections that we're going to have on what you did in university and that particularly those challenges and your tips for how you would, what would you, what you would mentor others yeah. in, in terms of transitioning from university to working life. So it's a really good opportunity to do that. And I'm really happy that you um, emailed me or you sent me a LinkedIn DM yes. and you said, Hey, I'd like to come on. Cause I keep, in, I keep leaving that open for, yeah. for people who want to come on. I've had a few people have been referred Mm-hmm. So Oliver Wong was on last time on the new grad series. Yeah. Ollie um, was referred, hey, this would be a really good guest. So I contacted him. So if you're out there and you're listening to this, if you're finding it valuable, and this is a conversation that just continues on from person to person and over time, and we're going to keep it going for a long time. So if you feel you have something to add here and you want to contribute your perspectives and be on the podcast, be brave. Send me a DM like June did. So let's talk about you. Uh, let's start with your background and interests. Who are you? What do you do? What are you interested in? And where are you working, et cetera? 
Of course. Uh, so just a quick summary about myself. Graduated in 2020, as with a lot of other guests on the podcast so far. Um, I've always been interested in musk physiotherapy and, and sort of knew quite early on that I wanted to do private practice physio, hence why I went straight to private practice. My first role was up in regional Victoria, uh, which was quite interesting. I worked there for a year as a private practice musk physio before I transitioned back into um, the city where I continue to work as a musk physio in private practice, where I'm currently practice at Peninsula Sports Medicine Group. Uh, but co concurrently, I'm also working as a casual physiotherapist at the Alfred and also as a community physio. So I do have a number of uh, jobs at the moment, which just makes my job that much more interesting, I guess. Oh, yeah. So you're doing community health, hospital work and private practice work. How do you find jumping between those roles on different days or even on the same day? Of course. Um, I personally, as much as I enjoyed private practice physio, as a new grad, it was quite tiring. Uh, oh, yeah. It, 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 takes, it takes a lot out of you. So in the second year, I decided to break up my week. I knew I still enjoyed private practice physio, but I really did not want to burn out. So I broke up my week by doing private practice stuff, community stuff, and also um, working at the hospital. So it breaks up my week in the sense that I get something different every day. And also it keeps me engaged in that sense. Mm. And what, what are the differences that you found between working in the country and working in the city as a physio? Um, in the country, there isn't as many physiotherapy practices as you would find around the city. So when I was in my first job and I didn't have it as bad as the other regional guys, but our diaries were full from day one. Um, and I remember in the very first job, my diary was probably 70 to 80% full and it was very full on. So in that sense, it was much more hectic in regional compared to um, city. That was the first difference. The other mm. difference as well is the patient presentations. You get a lot more sport presentations in the city compared to regional where there happen to be a lot of worker compensation claims and um, TAC injuries um, compared to the sort of sporting demographic you get in the city. I'll That's just explain TAC for the listeners who aren't in Victoria. So this is Transport Accident Commission. So these are road accident compensable um, people paying for, for that care and then workers' compensation, yeah. So different different type of patient presentations is a an interesting one for people to think about when they're considering where they may go. So, But you learn from working oh, with yes. different people. You learn 100%. different things. It's good yeah. to have that contrast. That's right. And um, I guess a lot of people ask me, did I make the right decision by going to regional Victoria for my very first job? And I would say, yes, I wouldn't regret it because to be honest, uh, I was sort of forced to really uh, think on the spot. And because of that, I became quite independent as a physio quite quickly. Okay. Um, and as a result of that, I reckon my transition back to the city as a physiotherapist was made much easier because of the skills I developed in regional Victoria. What, what were some specific skills that you picked up that you may not have had that opportunity in a metropolitan environment? Yeah, of course. Um, one of the main things was communication. Um, 
the people in regional Victoria are extremely friendly there, uh, which made my job much easier. But because of that, I managed to develop my own communication style, um, which uh, has helped me with my transition back to um, the metropolitan area, essentially. Mm. So yeah. communication is one very th important thing as a private practice physio, which I feel I managed to develop the skills back in regional Victoria. Mm. Can I explore that a little bit more, even though we, we had an original plan for what we were talking about, but That's that always okay. goes straight out the window, doesn't it? So what what specifically was it about the communication that you you developed? What were the challenges in communication? What were your strategies for yeah. talking to people and making those connections and getting the yeah. information you need? Of course. Um, because of the vast variety of presentations in regional Victoria, you've got your work cover. TAC, we had NDIS as well, and you have your private paying patients as well. Um, you really had to vary your communication styles between each one of them uh, in order to develop that rapport you get, that patient relationship you get with each one. Because as a private practice physio, that's quite important for making sure they come back again. Um, so that's a very good opportunity in regional Victoria for you to be exposed to these different type of patient presentations, um, which will help you with your transition anywhere else, in my opinion. Mm. Are there more opportunities for work? It generally, this we're only talking about one state in one country. Yeah. But um, is it are there more opportunities to work? Definitely. In, in, in regional areas? I would say so. And with the growing population in regional areas, I found during COVID, there was a big influx of people moving into South Gippsland, which I was based off. Uh, as a result of that, being the only physio clinic there, our diaries filled up very quickly. And over my time there as well, I have noticed new physio clinic pop up, the new hospitals popping up as well. So um, there's always new job opportunities there um, if you're willing to move to regional Victoria, which some people aren't. Hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so there's pros and cons of everything and there's opportunities there that you mentioned. Um, you, you did say uh, an acronym before, uh, yeah, an abbreviation, which was NDIS, which is the, our National Disability um, Insurance Scheme. So, um, and every country has different, um, you know, different schemes and everything, but generally what you're talking about there is this private paying patients in some systems, there's people who are receiving their um, the, their care paid for by some sort of compensation and some sort of scheme. And then it, it was interesting. You mentioned that there are potentially different types of people that you work with in those different, um, just classified by the different schemes there. And of course there's different types of people everywhere, but that was an interesting point. Yeah. So tell us, so that's a, that's quite a challenging job for a new grad, isn't it? You, so um, you, not only were you busy, you had lots of different types of clientele and people you were working with and you had to really extend your communication skills and learn all these new things. Um, what were the struggles that you found? And that, and we could talk about the good things about it as well, but what, what th things did you find difficult and um, where did you really target your energies initially? Oh, of course. Um, I would say as a private practice physio, especially from – uh, from a new new grad perspective, a lot of the presentations we see uh, in in a private practice setting 
we don't cover very much in depth in uni. Um, in uni, I would say, and this is not a criticism, but there yeah, was let's a, discuss it. That's, this is good. Yeah, I, I felt that in uni there was a huge emphasis on a hospital setting as a hospital physiotherapist. I guess our first year was predominantly musculoskeletal, but the remaining three years covered quite a lot of hospital content. Um, and naturally, as a new grad, having spent only the first year focusing on musculoskeletal presentations, it was definitely a challenge um, yeah. coming out of uni doing that. So that was probably one of my biggest challenges in my first couple of months as a private practice physio. However, um, you learn on the job very quickly and because you're, you're, you're put into that situation, um, you actually know more than you think. So you got to trust yourself on that. Um, but my advice on new grads or even people in uni at the moment, although we only spent the first full year doing predominantly musculoskeletal um, content, uh, you get, I'd say you get as much as you put into it. You know, the uni gives a good foundation into these sort of knowledge, but you can always do your own research um, and also do more work into it yourself, which helped me a lot when I came out because um, that's what I did. I listened to podcasts. I watched um, other resources, read into research papers. These are things that you need don't really make you do but i would yeah. recommend you doing you know because it helps you it helps you a lot when you leave university yeah that's you, you've hit on a really important point there that well no one can really make you do anything in the free world but so you've got lots of opportunities and i guess when you graduate and you're in your position you're really incentivized to go and learn Correct. and you're motivated and it's you're running your career and you're getting paid and you're putting your professional um, reputation on the line every time you go to work. So there's lots exactly of motivation right. and incentive there to go and learn. And, and also, hopefully, most people, main motivation is they want to help people as well. Of course. <laughs> so the main yes. thing you, is you've got someone there with a problem, you want to help them, and then that leads to you learning as a secondary thing. But um, that that's – so let's let's dwell on that a little bit, that um, yeah. experience in university. Can, can you put yourself back in your mindset in first year when you were learning about the most common – musculoskeletal presentations of people with a total knee replacement, total hip replacement, or, or those types of presentations you'd see in a hospital. Correct. Can you, um, how much space in your brain did you have left to, to learn about many more conditions and, yeah. and to explore in more depth? Because sometimes the experience we have with our first year students is they're on the edge of um, they've got stressed and they've got a lot of knowledge and they're learning Definitely. a lot of stuff there in first year. Um, Definitely. So let's go back to first year and have a think about comparing that to what you know now. Of course. Um, I think for myself and, you know, I, I may not speak for everyone, but I was very interested in the musculoskeletal content, which helped with my, um, I guess, motivation to learn more. Um, and there was a lot, a lot to fit in, in first year in terms of content uh, and anatomy and things like that. But, like I said, the university gives you a very good foundation, a very good start as to what you should know as a musculoskeletal physiotherapist, and the rest is essentially up to you as to 
how much more do you want to know? Um, and like I said, it's a lot of content and I don't blame others out there who, um, who that's, that that's enough in their brain to, to fit in, you know, cause it's a lot, but I would say I would definitely encourage people who is looking to transition into private practice physio to do a lot of your own study as well mm. on top of that. Yeah, and you have to. You'll you'll either figure that out the hard way or the easy way. And it's so you're. I mean, you're someone who's. You've said you really enjoy the musculoskeletal practice. You've got a passion for it. That's going to feed into motivating you and yeah. getting in the discipline to go and read the papers and do the extra reading and everything. Exactly. Um, so you've got the. It, you get a good foundation in in the basic foundational content. In university, what about the processes? What about how you learn? What would you do differently? Thinking back to first year in terms of how you, I mean, maybe nothing. Maybe you were quite happy with your approach in university, but perhaps a better question is, what are some tips you could give first year and second year students who are in those foundational years in how they approach learning, how beyond just content that you might get from additional readings? Of and course. Things. How do you study? How do you think? How do you approach it? Yeah. Um, uh, from a first year first year perspective, and everyone learns differently. I personally learn better um, taking notes and and reading textbooks and things like that. Other people are more visual learner. Um, other people learn more from doing practicals, etc. Um, so, on that point, everyone learns differently. However, I would say Monash itself gives a lot of opportunity for students, especially in the first year to practice their practicals um, and ask questions in um, in lectures and things like that. So definitely make full use of all those opportunities. Um, they're out there for you to learn. So um, do ask questions in, in lectures. You know, we have a lot of uh, very smart physios coming in to, to teach us this. So make full use of it. Um, even in uh, practice for practicals, We've got physios there as well to help us there. So make full use of all the resources available in first year um, to get the most out of it, I would say. Mm, that's great advice. What if you're a bit embarrassed or afraid to ask a question? Can you I talk would, to the, the – often the questions come from the same people. Yeah, of course. I would say I was one of those. I don't think I ever asked a question in university. Um, really? I remember talking to you a lot. Oh, did you? Uh, probably. Yeah, I maybe. think it was a lot of that would be in practical classes, going yeah. around and let's fine tune, the, you know, the way handling of this or your, um, you know, the, the feedback you're seeking from. So you might have had your hands on the person doing some sort of a technique or, yeah, or, or going through an exercise, but and a lot of it would be that feedback of what you're doing in those prac sessions. Yeah. But yeah. You don't, re you don't reckon you ever asked a question? Asking a question with a hundred other peers, especially yeah, yeah. young. In, especially in the environment of a, a big Zoom meeting or a big lecture theatre, that's tough. I get it. Yeah, yeah. I don't think I, I don't think I ever did it in such a big setting, but probably in person, I was less uh, afraid to do so. Um, but no, there's no reason not to. All the lecturers are extremely friendly, like yourself, Luke. So don't be afraid to go ask um, a question. Because. It's not about knowing what preempting the answer and being clever enough to ask the question that you sort of know the answer to. It's not a competition. We yeah. had um, Sophie, who I still haven't talked into being on the on the podcast, Sophie Painter yeah. from Monash oh, yes. Physio. Sophie um, 
and, and it's not her idea, but she, she often brings up the, the concept of the learning zone versus the performance zone. And so this yeah. 80% or more of it should, you should always be in this learning zone where you can make mistakes and you should be making mistakes. And that includes asking a question you should know the answer to. And that can lead to a really interesting insight. Yeah. God, you don't have to know the, the whole point is learning. Exactly. Exactly. A nice question is just, I, I, I know we've covered it. I'd really like to go over this again. Yeah. And the person next to you will say, oh, you'll be their hero because they're thinking the same thing. That's right. And they just were too um, shy to speak. Yeah. And and uh, an example of that when I was uni was if I had something I didn't know and I was too afraid to ask, I would probably end up spending more time than I needed to looking for the answer when I could have just asked uh, a fellow peer of mine or a, um, a lecturer of the answer. So that would probably will save you a lot of time as well. <laughs> yeah. And so working with peers, so working with each other, fellow students, you know, you hear us saying that and you think, great, okay, fine, I'll do that. But that's that's a life skill to be able to oh, work yes. with people. You're currently working with Josh, a number of other senior clinicians, other people in your private practice. You're working community health and at the Alfred in the hospital. You're working with, you probably know hundreds of peers that you work with, if you can, all the doctors and physios, everyone you work with. Yeah, if you can't go and ask them a simple question, there's a problem. You have to oh, just feel comfortable not knowing and that's then, right and asking, that's right. right? Yeah, and and I would say that's a skill I'm still trying to fine tune. Um, you know, some people are um, a bit more intimidating than others, so uh, that's that's something I'm trying to build the confidence to speak to everyone uh, in my work setting. I would say. Mm. So you've, I mean, you're developing this broad experience in different settings, which is really good and reflecting on that. And you've sort of come on here to, to share that with everyone, which we really appreciate. What about what we're talking about before we press record here, which is the, the advice you'd give to students and new grads in terms of who they should work for? Of course. This is probably not just limited to the private practice setting, It's but you were thinking about the, the things you've thought about re regarding what sort of mentoring you want and what sort of environment you want to be working in. So Correct. What, what, what's your thinking there? Um, so I'm probably at the moment, maybe, and I'm not too sure, speaking more from a private practice perspective. Uh, however, when I was looking for jobs and going for interviews, I guess there were uh, a couple of things I would say for new grads to look out for. When I was a new grad, there were a lot of um, job postings that um, offered some new grad programs, so education, et cetera. However, I would say rather than being fully focused on that, I would say do your research into the physios at the clinic, uh, what sort of experience they had and whether or not you feel that you can learn from them. I think that's the most important, the clinicians that you work with because even though they may offer you some education or some ongoing grad program, some of these things that they teach you, in my opinion, can be outdated. Um, and I feel that it's better to learn from a clinician who is more experienced um, in that sense. So that's the first thing I looked out for was who was working at the clinic. That was the first thing. Mm, interesting. The other thing a, that, a good point. Yeah. 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 The other thing that I noticed as well as I was going for more interviews, and I guess I was quite shocked by this, but there were a number of interviews I went to where 
they didn't ask any questions about myself. Um, what I meant by that is they never asked about what my long-term goals were, what I was looking for in a clinic, um, questions like that. Mm. Uh, instead, they would just tell me about the clinic, what was on offer, whether or not it was suitable for me, and then they would offer me the job. So that was um, quite interesting for me. So I remember going for one interview, which really stood out for me. Unfortunately, I didn't get the job, but it still sticks in my head to this day. And it was a 45-minute, one-hour-long interview. Um, it was the only one of that kind that I've been to, but they really spent the time to try to get to know me. And they were asking questions about my experience working so far as a physio, what was important to me in a work environment, what kept me engaged as a physiotherapist, uh, what my long-term goals were. So the clinic was quite invested into um, seeing who they employed, which really impressed me. Um, and I really wanted that job, which I was close to getting, but unfortunately I didn't. But I would say for new grads out there who go for interviews to look out for these things, if they're not as invested in you as you are in them, I don't feel, I feel like that's a little bit of a red flag in my opinion. Mm. So of course we need to think about the practicalities and geographical location and the people. And, the, and you talked about the, the presentations, the people who will be coming to that clinic earlier. Yeah. And also the, the production value of what you're doing there. So is there a weekly, you know, um, a, a program, a new grade program, and you have a weekly time to sit down and discuss all, all of that's important, but what your advice here is to, it goes two ways. Think about the actual people there you'll be working with. And then from your perspective, how invested they would be in you personally, you, you, you exactly. do need to ask, you need, you need to know who you're working with. And from a private practice owner's perspective, they want to work with people who are, who have goals and who are going somewhere, they'd, sure, they'd want to explore that as well. So Exactly. Very interesting. Very good. What other advice should we sort of think about in terms of, so when I say we, what, what other advice should, do you think should young um, new grads and, and yeah. students think about when they're heading to the workplace? Um, the other dilemma which we talked about prior to recording um, the podcast was, private practice or hospital. Um, there we go. That was one of the, That's the big debate point, isn't it? Amongst students correct. who are about to graduate. Yeah, definitely. Um, I guess we discussed the course itself had three years of emphasis on hospital and naturally most people would gravitate towards a hospital job. Um, I remember I was sort of, uh, almost, Felt like I was missing out if I didn't apply for hospital jobs. So I almost was applying for hospital jobs because everyone else was applying for hospital jobs. Okay. But deep down, I knew I wanted to do private practice and that's the route that I took. Um, so my advice for people who feel like long-term that they see themselves in a private practice setting to honestly go straight to private practice. And I know this might be somewhat controversial because some people say it's better to go to hospital first, but I think that it's better to go straight to private practice. Yeah. So what, um, lots of follow-up questions there. Of course. Well, well, why? Tell us more. Yeah. 
I would Tell say us that, more why that is. I would say the biggest thing is um, the type of people and presentations that you see in a private practice city setting, you won't get to see much off in a hospital setting. Um, so if you spend a long time in a hospital setting and transition into a private practice, I feel you will struggle because you still haven't seen a lot of the presentations um, that you will see in a hospital setting. If that makes sense. So the argument might be potentially you've got a. Um, it depends where you work, depends who you're seeing, uh, and depends how busy you are, of course. But there's a potential to get a wide variety of clinical conditions and still have that primary contact practitioner um, yeah. role where if someone comes in, you are screening them for their general health, exactly. and are they having a uh, acute myocardial infarction? Are they having a stroke? Exactly. Or is this leg pain? Is this leg Correct. pain coming from their calf? Is it Correct. something that's related to their back? So you've got a lot of thinking that goes on. That's right. And the other argument I would have as well is um, as a private practice practitioner, manual therapy is actually quite important. Uh, I know what we're taught in uni is that there's not much research behind it. However, um, I can tell you now it is quite an important aspect of private practice physio um what makes it important from your perspective working with people people's expectations when they come in mm. to be honest um they come in they sort of want to feel better and they're expecting some sort of manual therapy to to go on to help them with that so um it's a big part of it it's the expectations yeah exactly um so being a private practice practitioner you have to meet those expectations otherwise they won't come back so um, manual therapy is a big part of it. And it's something you can't really do in a hospital setting. If someone comes in with back pain in a hospital setting, you can't really give them a MOB on a hospital bed, can you? So, um, and there's outpatients of- as well. And, and there's other, other public health, but yes, it, it is different. And, and the way that you would approach and you might handle those expectations might be different. Exactly right. Exactly. So. Yeah, I would say that would be my advice. If you're looking to private practice in the future, I would advise you to go straight into it. However, there are still skills you can learn in a hospital setting, which um, is highly applicable in a private practice setting. So this is a really nice conversation because it's balancing other conversations we've had. So Izzy Smith, who came on earlier, and she talked about the, um, so we're talking about the pros and cons of private practice and and um, hospital work. She talked about some of those benefits of going straight into the hospital as well. Mm-hmm. There's obviously benefits to both. Yeah, so, yeah definitely, definitely. <laughs> which it's like a debate. If you pitch one, as you know, have a, a bit of a false dichotomy on purpose and we'll yeah. pitch one against the other. Um, and you're doing both. So you're working yeah. at the Alfred as well. Yeah. How, exactly. how do you find that work? And, oh, and what are you doing there? Honestly, I, I love it there. Um, I'm working as a Musk physio a Musk weekend physio at the Alfred. Um, and it's so this really- is a big, a big hospital in the center of Melbourne. Right. And um, very, very different from your rural um, private practice experience. Yeah. And it's very- Non-metro, I should say. Yeah, very, very busy there as well. Um, but I did all my placements at the Alfred, so it was good to be back um, okay. at the Alfred um, as a physiotherapist this time not a student. So it was good. And it's, I'd say it would have, it has really helped me as a private practice physio as well. Mm. And 
well, what ha- what helps you the most? So, what do you what skills and knowledge do you pick up working there, doing your weekend yeah. work? Is is that an orthopedic? Orthopedic, or, correct. Mainly, but there's of course there's no such thing as just orthopedic. People come right. in with all sorts of um, comorbidities. But um, what do you take away from your work at the Alfred there in the hospital um, into your private work? Yeah, so from starting off in private and then doing uh, hospital work in the site, it's helped me because it can really help you build that patient rapport. Um, a lot of my patients I've seen in a private practice setting, they come straight from the hospital. Um, and once they know that you have a experience working in a hospital and you know what they've been through, mm. it really helps you as a practitioner to build that relationship because they, they know that you know all the struggles they've already been through in the hospital. So that's really helped me. Um, that that's the biggest thing I got out of it, uh, working in a hospital setting. Concurrent. It's not so much knowledge as uh, much as connecting with a person and having that rapport and they know that, you know, that's right. That's right. The, I, I, you do learn a lot of things in hospital as well from a medical perspective, uh, reading imaging and, mm. um, also refreshing your other cardio and neuro knowledge as well, because you get patients with comorbidities, which you have to manage. So, that's all a good refresher for me as well. So it seems if I'm trying to answer preemptively answer my question, I ask everyone, what are the most important foundational knowledge and skills for a physiotherapist? That the ability to have develop rapport with different people in your communication is something that's really important to you. Because if you don't yes. connect with someone, it doesn't matter where you're working, 100%. It, it will cause problems, whether that's the person from a private business perspective going on seeing someone else, that's the reality of that work, or whether it's them not telling you something when you're in a, in a clinical um, consultation, something important that they fail to mention because they don't trust you. So rapport is so important. You know, you're a person I can talk to for hours here. You can see that that you've developed your communication skills inside and outside your career. And that's something that is a big uh, strength of yours. What else? What other foundational skills and knowledge do you think are really important? And perhaps this is something that our students listening can think about as they're developing those. Uh, from a, from what perspective, sorry, Luke? So foundational skills, and I often think of things you might have learnt in university, so foundational sci- basic science and all those anatomy and physiology and everything that you then you take forward. Yeah. And, and quite often the communication skills come up, um, but also it could be anything that I, I'll ask the question differently this week. What in your toolbox as a physiotherapist, what are the most important things that you use and you can't go to work without to, that, that help patients? Oh, that's a tough question, Luke. Um, so we discussed about how communication is quite important already, but I would say while you're in university, use the resources and the time available to build your own style of practice, if that makes sense. Yeah. But what I mean by that is the unit gives you resources, the basic foundation on how to conduct assessments, your interview, your treatment, and things like that. But use the time during practicals um, to sort of build your own style of practice mm. before you go into working um, as, a, as a practitioner. And that's something you'll continue to build over time with work experience as well. But start thinking about this as a student, I would say. Great. Okay. I love it. 
you're developing your style as a part of the foundation of not only who you are as a professional, but as a person. And so we're all different. And when I go to see Jun and you've got your style, this is not only sort of the, the way you think about things and the way you practice, but, um, it's, I know who you are as a person as well. And you're bringing yourself into there because there's nothing worse than talking to anybody and they seem to be doing things robotically and they're not connecting with it. Yeah. Right. And they yeah. know all the books and they know all the things and right. you feel uncomfortable talking to them because they haven't found that way to connect with you. Exactly. Exactly. So uh, Ollie Wong talked about that as well. Yeah. He talked about developing the, the Ollie Wong that was in, um, you know, a different, in different roles. That's and right. You, you would, put the mask on. What did he say? I'll have to go back and re-listen to it. <laughs> he had a nice way of saying that you develop that professional persona and bring that along. Yeah. And there's some comfort that comes from that. Great. Knowing that you can go into that role and you don't have to know everything, but you can you develop that style. And That's right. Yeah. It's and okay. You'll find, you'll find that once you develop your own style and you become more comfortable with it, that patience will be a lot more comfortable with connecting with you and building that rapport. So uh, definitely start thinking about that and fine-tuning that as a student and continuing to build that as you get more work experience, I would say. Beautiful. I love it. Where do you think you're going in over the next five or 10 years? So you study? You're going to go to um, Adelaide, you mentioned. Yes, yes. Tell so, us about your study. So there'll be the people, plenty of people listening to this will be thinking about postgraduate training, what's next. Yeah. So what are you planning? Um, so my next stage is I've decided to study my master's in Musk up in Adelaide, which will be a full-time one-year course. Um, is that at University of South Australia? or Uni or, of South yeah. Australia. Isn't that where yeah. you're from, uh, Luke? Didn't That's you where do- Suzanne is, was born, born and bred in Adelaide. Oh, wow. And yes. we both live there and we both did that same master's course. So Yes, yes. Yeah. Um, so that, that would be interesting. Um, and I guess the reason I decided to do that was, firstly, I knew I was going to do it at some stage as part of my career plan. Uh, it was just about when I wanted to do it. I personally thought that currently I've reached a somewhat a learning plateau where I don't feel like I'm learning anymore, if that makes sense. And I, that's my, that's why I've decided to transition back into uni to study my postgrad to continue that uh, learning as a, as a private practice practitioner, essentially. And you mentioned the manual therapy skills as well. And, and University of South Australia has a, a, a history, Jeff yeah, Maitland and, that's and, right. and, and many have followed there. That's right. Uh, that that's was right. actually, funny, funnily enough, that was my same uh, motivation to return to that master's. Yeah. Uh, the, the clinical reasoning framework and the, and the, um, and the manual therapy training. Correct. Yeah. I actually just wanted to take a step back and, yeah. and go back and build up the basic building blocks of, of assessment and management. Of course, and I just wanted more information, more study, and yeah. And so, so I, I guess I went in there looking for content. Yes, and I came out of it with a with different more. way of thinking. It's yeah. the same with your PhD. You go into yeah. there thinking, well, you either go into it because you just sort of want to do it for a life adventure, or yeah. because it's stri- strategy. You're going into that thinking, well, it's it's now entry level for an academic position, or I want to do um, research leadership in the health exactly. service, whatever, whatever reason. Yeah. And then if, if things go well, you leave with a, 
a, a different way of thinking. That's right. That's right. That's right. And, a- I'm, and I'm hoping that's what I'll get out of the course as well, um, as you've discussed. Yeah, and, and that you got that out of your undergrad course as well. I mean, can compare your, the way of approaching a study yeah. in year twelve or the end of end of high school yeah. versus now as a uh, solo. Um, practitioner and someone yeah. working in teams. You've got all these different um, skills in terms of where to look things up. That's in right. our last episode, Christian Asadnik, who we just, that's just gone to air, he talked about more and more the skill we really need is to be knowledge, uh, resource aware, he said. Yeah. So you know, where, where you find things and especially with all the amazing evidence summaries and online education you can get. So that's no doubt right. you've been, you, you mentioned that before, you, no doubt you, you spend a lot of time with those quite valuable. They're, they're quite good resources. You can pay not much, and you can yeah. get um, you know subscription based exactly professional right. development, and it's amazing. But yes. then, so but you you also want to go back into the university and study. Yeah, for a year. Yeah, it's not enough. Nah, but I I found um, compared to others, it might be different for others, but I learned quite well in a university setting. Um, and when I was in the study zone, I got a lot out of it. So that was another reason why I decided to go back to uni rather than continue to work, um, and gain more experience out of it, which is good. But I found I've hit a bit of a learning plateau as we talked about. There's plenty more we could dig into here. I found a lot of that really relatable. I'm sure listeners will find parts of that really relatable as well and very honest as well. That there's plenty we could dig into in the future yeah. if we if we do this again, yeah. Particularly around the way, you know, the depth into which we go into things in university, it isn't by accident. No, it's not. And, and there's there's um, there's no shortage of people with opinions on what should be added into a university degree. But I've never had a first year student tell me that there was too little content. Yeah, as well. So it's sort of what you've covered really nicely there isn't just about the content, but it's your approach to it. Correct. And you said you enjoyed going to uni and that's great and, and enjoyed studying and because learning is really fun. Yeah. That's why you're going back. But if you don't have a um, a method of learning and learn how to learn, then you are going to have trouble when you're a new graduate because that's what you do on your own now. you got to learn. You go out there and learn how to learn. And yeah, so there's so much that you've offered there for for listeners, perhaps at the student level and the new graduate level, who are not only yeah. thinking about what they're doing and reflecting on that, but thinking about what they're doing next. So gee, we'll have to come back and Correct. talk about your master's and how that went. I'll be interested to definitely. say hello to everyone definitely. at UniSA from Susanna and I. And when you, we'll you definitely, are you definitely doing it? You're definitely signing up? Ah, yes, yes. I got the accommodation, everything sorted out. Um, due to move there next month. And so, oh, yeah, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Good luck. That's excellent. Yeah. yeah. We'll Thank have you. to follow Thank up you. on that because I think there's another whole um, whole series of discussions we can have on approaching postgraduate study and the relevance of that and when you would do it. Yeah. So yeah. Anything else you wanted to add before we – any final thoughts? Um, I would say – just a quick summary about, you know, what we talked about. Uh, and I know these are very common terms in uni. Uh, one of the most common ones you get is P's get degrees and uh, fake it till you make it. <laughs> right. Uh, those are two of the most common phases I've heard. Um, and honestly, there, there's some, there's, it's 
there's some truth to an extent, but I would say, you know, although P's do get degrees, you get as much as you put into it in uni. So, you know, the more work you put into it, the more prepared you'll, you'll feel when you get out of uni. Um, <laughs> and same as when you're a practitioner, you know, you can fake it till you make it, but you know, you can only do that to some extent and right. the more yeah. work you put into it, you know, the more success you'll get as a physio, I would say. Mm. Now that's a really important point. And you, you have, it's a balance between effort you're putting in and, and how your your health and your own stress as well. So, yeah. so, so I, I always think of someone who gets 55% in an anatomy assessment and, um, and then you see them 10 years later and they're yeah. an excellent clinician and yeah. not only have, have they, did they have other strengths, including relating to people and being a good clinician, but yeah. don't forget that there is time and that same person may be doing their masters like you're doing soon. And they may yeah. be now that now, now they may be the student who's now getting 95% in there and you go through different stages of your life when you're ready for, that's right. for, for things and when you're better at things and it might be just that that's stage right. you're at. I, I'm not saying go and just aim for your P to get your degree and just, and just shoot yeah. for the bottom and or shoot for the bare <laughs> pass and get your yeah. 55%. But, but maybe there's a balance in between stressing yourself to the point that you don't even enjoy university because yes. you have to get a hundred percent on everything and just sort of understanding why assessments are there in our course. Yeah. That is that it's an entry to practice degree. You can do a master's. Sure. You can do a PhD, but the, the point is you finish it and then you go and practice and your career begins. There's nothing mm. after that. That's right. And the whole point of it is to get good at being a professional. It's not to get marks. Of course you can use marks to apply for positions and a PhD and everything, but gee, it has to be in balance. And and for some, it, it gets really out of balance. They get really lost in the, in the weeds and they really lose perspective about why you're doing an assessment. That's it's right. a competency assessment. It's the whole point of it is this person that got 55% in anatomy. Okay. They've got room for improvement. They'll do their masters like you are one day and they'll, yeah. they'll do post-grad study, but um, they're, you know, it's just the beginning. That's right. That's right. Yeah. And I, I would say, you know, in first year, I wasn't the brightest of the bunch. I remember in one of the practicals, I, I failed one of the stations because I couldn't figure out how to turn on the ultrasound machine. Oh, thankfully we don't have that. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, things evolve and we, you know, you, yeah. and the students don't get assessed on ultrasound. Yeah. So, um, no, nah, I'd say I've come a long way from that. So there, there's hope for everyone. There are people out there who uh, I don't, don't really ask me. They tell me what we, what we teach in university. Yeah. <laughs> it's a bugbear of mine. And they tell me that we'd still teach you guys four months of electrotherapy and yeah. we, we don't. No, nah, no, nah, not anymore. There's, um, the, uh, th things are evolving all the time, but that's right. Yeah, you, back then you did have, you did have that as a competency. It's, it's sort of, yeah, it's taught in other ways now. It's not taught. It's a, the main thing there in those stations is, is effective communication, exercise, Correct. patient education, taking an interview, manual therapy skills, That's exercise right. prescription skills, but try to cut out some of the less evidence-based stuff. But yeah. Anyway, but yeah, so you, yeah, that is funny though. So you, 
okay, he couldn't turn on a machine. And yeah, did you lose no. sleep over that and go, oh, maybe oh, I, sure. I didn't get 100% and, and so yeah. therefore I can't be a good physiotherapist. Look, it was more embarrassing than anything. It was in front of, uh, it was in front of Mick. So, um, and I spent the whole time, I spent the whole time trying to figure out how to turn it on. So I definitely failed that station. Oh my God. Yeah. That's not a good experience. Yeah. <laughs> no. Yeah. But apart from that, you really enjoyed university. And, oh, definitely um, did. Yeah, did really well, and, and here you are now. So we should reconnect again and come definitely. back and sort of see how the how you went with your masters. But for everyone listening, um, we really appreciate you joining us in these conversations. You might be on here next talking to me, so make sure you let me know if you want to come on have a conversation. We hope you're getting a lot out of it. So thanks very much, Jun, and good luck with the masters. No problem. Soon. Thank you so much, Luke. So until next time, uh, this is Jun and Luke wishing you all the very best with your studying, professional development and lifelong learning. 